church, we're going to continue in our study. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 through 16 together. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back or it'll be on the screen for you. I'm going to start in verse 13 just to connect that and we'll go down to verse 16. So here we go. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Father God, we thank you for your word. I ask you to bless it. Lord, let it be your words, not my own. God, bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, like we've talked about, this book has a very unique perspective and it speaks to a place where I believe we are today in a culture of resistance, in a culture that uh, isn't quite as acceptive and receptive of us as maybe it has been in years past. And so what I believe, knowing Peter and knowing Peter's life, as we talked about, Peter was someone who was very passionate about his faith in Jesus when Jesus came to him. And, you know, something very unique about Peter is that Peter was an everyday man. Peter was somebody who, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of accolades. He wasn't somebody who was highly, it was complete opposite of Paul, who was somebody that was very educated, uh, very informed, um, very involved in the highest parts of society as far education and philosophy and ministry and religion and all those things. And so Peter and his buddies were down fishing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to them and he calls them. In the middle of their work, he calls them and he invites them to participate in something. And I love, I've always loved how Jesus invites Peter to be a part of what he's doing. You know, and this is what he says in, uh, in, in Mark 1.17. The NIV says it like this. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, just what I think so neat about that is not only does Jesus come down to this lowly place, just an everyday type place, middle class kind of, the, I'm sure they were successful to some extent and they were just kind of normal people doing their thing. And Jesus says, first off, he invites them, those people. You know, from the from that type of person to the most wretched when he would go and he would invite the, the tax collectors and Matthew and, you know, who was with Levi, he said, come and follow me. And everybody hated him because he was a tax collector. He invited that type of person. He invited the regular type of person. He goes and meets Paul on the road to Damascus, who was highly educated, highly informed. But not only does he invite that type of person, but he also says, and I, I love how he tells Peter, he says, I will make you fishers of men. And what I think is so unique about that is that Jesus is speaking into what he's doing and kind of inviting him to experience that on an even fuller scale. To know me, to follow me, and to do what you do, but on a level of fullness, of completion, of value that you've never known before. That you've been fishing for fish to provide for your life forever. Probably passed down from generation to generation through his family. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I want to take... That thing that has defined your life, that has provided for you, that has given you value, that has provided for your family, and I want to bring it to an an even fuller level and invite you into the ministry of God, 
to the sharing of the grace. You know, and, and so what Peter is doing, you know, all throughout the book of Peter, we constantly see this reference to calling. And I believe that's why Peter mentions calling so much in, in his letter, kind of this idea of calling is because of how Jesus called him. As Jesus leaned into the life of a, of a lowly, normal, regular guy and said, hey, I want to invite you to something that is going to shape the landscape of the world forever. And it does today. Whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we believe in Christianity or not, what they are doing right here has shaped everything we've done up to this point. I mean, the morality and the justice system of God set up in the very beginning is why our justice system is the way it is. The why people act the way they do. The why our world is laid out the way it is is because God's establishment and the work of the church through Jesus. There are churches, there are schools, there are hospitals because of what God has established through people like Peter. He took the church and he sent them out. And so Peter is writing to a church under oppression. Remember, in, in Rome, this book, this part of the Bible in 1 Peter is written to Christians in Rome in 64 AD who were under oppression, who were being accused of burning Rome to the ground because the emperor Nero hated Christians and didn't want to take the blame for more than likely something historians would say he did. And so Christians were catching the blame for this. Christians were being murdered on the streets for this. Christians were being fed to dogs for this. Christians were being lit on fire and left in the streets to act as lamps for the roads. Now granted, like we've talked about, we haven't nearly experienced that hurt, but people around the world, near even to where this was written, are right now experiencing those hurts. And I promise you, those type of things are not far from our doorstep. And so what Peter has done in establishing up to this point what we do and how we act as Christians, remember, he started off, last week we kind of saw the pivot point, the therefore. And so everything before that was Peter telling us that we as Christians are elect exiles. You're chosen for this time according to the foreknowledge of God in verses 2 and 3. And then he tells us that you were born again to a living hope. That you have hope beyond these moments, hope beyond the hurt, hope beyond all the circumstances that you don't understand or the fears or the doubts of navigating these uncertain times. And not only that, but he says that you are born to a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That what God has for you will never leave you. And that there is nothing that this world offers us, no relationship, no substance, no situation, that will satisfy us the way that God can. And not only that, but he continues on and he says, this hope that we have has been kept for us in heaven. And not only that, but we have been given us today as people today living and breathing that have the Bible to reference, have the opportunity to experience a special kind of grace that has been preached to us, for us by the prophets all throughout history, that we have the opportunity to understand grace on a level that they would have only hoped for because we know who Jesus is. That the Savior of the universe came and died for me, for you. Bearing our sin, taking the penalty of our mistakes on Himself so that we could have salvation and right standing before a holy God. And then with that, he said, therefore, last week we talked about our minds and how our minds motivate our motion and our movement. He said, prepare your minds being sober minded and set your hope intentionally, mentally and emotionally, set your hope fully on grace. And so for us, 
our greatest challenge will be living our Christian life in a way that is reflective of our calling. And I believe that's what Peter begins to write into in this moment. That, that it'll be difficult for us in the middle of oppression, in the middle of a time when it's not easy or popular to be a Christian, that it'd be hard for us to be reflective of our calling and not of our culture. And listen, we see churches doing this every day right now, being more reflective of the culture than our calling. And this is where God and Peter are inviting us in to see bigger and better things. You know, because what God is inviting us into is He's inviting us into a new level of experience of who He is and what He's got for us. And so the main focus this morning, one point, and we'll move through this, is that our calling is the instruction for our walking. Our calling, what God has invited us into, is the instruction for our walking. And in these next three verses, 14 through 16, Paul, Peter, I told you, once a week, every week I'm going to call him Paul. (laughs) Peter lays out for us these instructions and these elements of our calling that we desperately have to remember and be influenced by. In the first thing, in verse 14, what does he say? He says, as obedient Children, Listen, every time we remotely reference the word obedience, what is our natural reaction? It's the flinch, right? Like, ugh. Like, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I don't want somebody telling me how to act. I don't want somebody telling me how to live. And listen, some of the most profound atheists in the world that argue to tooth and nail to the death, their main argument is I refuse to believe in a God that holds any bearing on what I do or how I do it. And you know, a lot of that is because culturally we've been preconditioned to rebel, right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we have been preconditioned, whether it's through, you know, I mean, we, if, if you love Star Wars, you love it because of the rebellion, right? Somebody rising up against some kind of authority. Like we, we hate the idea of authority, but we love the idea of pressing against it. Like we love rebellion. I mean, punk music, rock music, rap, I mean, it's all music is, is really reflective of rebellion about rising up, rising against. And so we have been preconditioned to be rebellious. And so So even in our Christian walk or even as people outside of the Christian faith, when we think about a God that calls us to obedience or a God that commands something of us, we flinch. Even as Christians sometimes, we don't like to talk about what God calls us to do. We like to think about His love. We like to think about His grace. We like to think about all those things that He gives to us. But a lot of times as Christians, we flinch at what He requires of us. Because time and time and time again we read the Bible and it tells us what is required of us may cost us something. And so what what I believe we need to see, you know, like I said, us being preconditioned uh, for rebellion and, and in reality our resistance to obedience is a byproduct of our pride and it's evidence in Genesis 3 when we see Adam and Eve in the tree and they're like, well, God said we couldn't do this, but what is he hiding from us? So we want something because we want to be on this level of understanding, you know, to eat of this fruit and the serpent comes in and deceives Adam and Eve in, in Genesis chapter 3. But I think what is missed is that second word. And I believe this is where, when Christianity, when we present the gospel appropriately and accurately, that we don't focus so much on that obedience and that reaction. But we see 
children, which implies that we have a father. Right? Because if we're children, we're children of something. If we're children, we're children of someone. And if we're children, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Right? I have four children, but I say children because there's more than one of them. So they're a part of a unit. And so what I believe a lot of times, especially on the outside, is that, that atheists or people who don't believe in God, they imagine this, this old bearded white man in the sky looking down on us, just laughing at our, our, our hurts and our pains. And like, why isn't he intervening? He's just he's too busy for us or he doesn't care about us or the, the whole uh, thought that he's wound up the clock of time and let us go so that, you know, he has nothing to do with us anymore. And they just imagine this 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 being that has no care or concern for his people, because if he did, why is there so much hurt and pain and destruction in the world? And listen, we've referenced that and we'll get to that moving forward. But what I believe we miss is that to be obedient children, we're being obedient to a father. A father that the Bible tells us is leaps and bounds above any father that we could have on earth. And that even in the midst of the worst earthly fatherly experience we've ever had, that God leans down into that brokenness and grabs us by the hand and lifts us up. And says that I've called you my children. I have called you my own. That you have, like Peter said earlier, you have an inheritance from my family that is greater, that is undefiled, that it is not broken, that it is not tainted, that it is not, uh, that it is not uh, uh, manipulated, that it is perfect and it is pure and it is for you if you are in my family. And so to be obedient children, we're being children of a, of a God. And so our obedience isn't to be children. Listen, our obedience is because we're children. Listen, for me and my family and my poor family, they're, they're going to get it today. I pray that their obedience to anything I say or do isn't because they're afraid of me. I mean, surely none of us who have kids, we parent our children to be afraid of us so that they'll be obedient. We pray, our hope and prayer is that through our love and instruction and discipline, which is involved in parenting, disciplining our children, sometimes allowing them to hurt, sometimes maybe inflicting a little bit of hurt in a controlled manner, is meant to grow them. It's because we love them. And it's to elicit obedience. And all of those things being together in that. Not me domineering fear over my children. What kind of love is that? That my kids would obey me because they're afraid of me. What does that make me? It makes me insecure. It makes me power hungry. Our God does not function that way. Our God calls us to obedience because we are His children. Not to become His children. We have a seat at his table long before we take heavy steps of obedience. He has invited us to that. And so continuing on, because of that, what does he say in verse 14? This is where we start to see those steps that he's inviting us to. This is where we begin to see our participation in this calling. Not only do we understand who we are in Him and the call to obedience. He has called us to be obedient. In verse 14, He says this, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Man, those are strong words. But I think it's because He wants to focus our minds and call us to take steps that are bigger and better than what we are trying to leave behind us. 
Because listen, for all of us, our past is not far from us. For all of us. I mean, for me. I mean, I mean, our past was yesterday. And yesterday I made mistakes. My past is not far from me. So when we talk about this former ignorance, we're not talking about ten years ago. Maybe we're even talking about yesterday. And what he's calling us to, he says, do not be conformed. When he talks about being conformed, he's talking about this idea of following a pattern. Following a pattern of another person. And so what he's telling us when he kind of connects it to do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, he's saying, listen, don't be conformed to the patterns of who you used to be. Don't be conformed to the patterns of who you used to be. And, and not only that, when he says passions, he's talking about other translations would say lusts. You know, and a lot of times when we think about the word lust, we immediately attribute it to sexual type things. But lusts really are anything that we are longing for. Anything that we desire. Anything that we crave. Anything that we feel like we need. And so... What Peter is telling us is to take active steps away from the things of our lives that drew us in. And he uses this word ignorance. You know, and so this word ignorance, it means moral blindness. You know, and this is a place that each and every one of us, by birth, this is where we are. In ignorance. In moral blindness. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2 tells us, it says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, or conformed to the course of this world, conformed or following the prince of the power of the air, talking about the enemy who rules. It says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. A lot of strong language, but it's communicating who we are in our natural selves, without the intervention of God, without the salvation of Jesus, we are sons of disobedience. We are dead in our trespasses. Dead people cannot do good things. So we are dead. We are, we are conformed to the course or the track of this world. This is who we are. And in that, we live in ignorance. An ignorance that we can, in our own selves, see. You know, I, I, I like the way, sometimes I like to compare translations and the NLT says this verse in verse 14. I like the way it says it. It says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You know, Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so when we talk about the former ignorance, our former ignorance, we're talking about the place in our lives at which we knew nothing about the grace of God. Had no knowledge of it, no desire for it. And so for us as Christians, the place at which we are is we are at a place of knowing. Maybe that knowing's a small amount. Maybe that knowing's a lot. Depends on the, just the course of our life. And there's no necessarily requirements of that. But for us, we know. And so what Peter's telling us is there's an active part that we participate in by not conforming or not following the patterns of this mindset that bring us back to where we were, not knowing the grace of God, not knowing what He's called us to, not knowing the track that He's laid out for us. And with that, and I love how Romans puts it, Romans 12 too, 
where it even ties it to the trials, even the testing, where Peter is writing to a group of people, like we've talked about, that are in trials, that are in testing, that their faith is being pressed in, and, and they're, being, they're in the, 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 the furnace, they're, in, they're being pressed and, and pushed on. And so he's telling them, even in this testing, that we may discern what is good, what is right, what is perfect, what are the things that we want and should desire and what are the new things that he showed us Titus 3 3 it says and we have this verse on the screen we can put up Titus 3 3 says for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice or anger and envy hated by others and hating one another listen and for a lot of us, maybe we, we would disagree with this, but I think if we dig deep enough, then we can truly be honest with ourselves. What Titus is explaining is he is explaining a life that is not led, guided, and directed by the gospel. Now, does that mean that every person that doesn't believe in God acts in this capacity? No. But inevitably, inevitably, because if we are living for ourselves and not living for God and the gospel, inevitably, at some point, someone is going to get in the path of our happiness. And if they get in the path of our happiness and our progress, then they are immediately our enemy. And if they are our enemy, then our goal is to take them down by, by anger, by enemy, by, by, by envy, by hatred, whatever we have to do. And so what Titus is telling him is like, listen, we were foolish before. We were living for ourselves before. Everything we did was motivated by our own desires. And what Peter is drawing us to is to drawing us away from that lifestyle. Drawing us away from that mindset. Luke would write in Acts 17.30, says the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. So when we talk about repentance, what are we talking about? That's a very churchy word and it's really the only place that we ever use it. But... It's a very important step, active step that we take as Christians. When we talk about repentance, repentance is a response to the work of God, not just believing something is wrong, not just believing that something is drawing us to rebellion against God, not just believing that it is uh, causing hurt or harm to someone around us, but it is not just believing that, but deciding what I'll do differently. And that we are in a better position, and in that, being in a better position to be conformed and repentive when we are feeding on the Word of Truth. Church, the beautiful thing about our lives is that when ignorance is gone, accountability grows, which leads to maturity. And so for us as Christians, that's the place at which we want to be. We want to be at this place where we're free of ignorance. A lot of us think, well, I'd, I'd rather be ignorant because then I'm free of whatever comes with that. But no, we, be, we want to be free of ignorance. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to be free of ignorance so that we could have a sense of accountability. And that accountability leads us to maturity so that we can grow, so that we can learn. Not just within our Christian wall, but how we parent, how we are friends, how we work in the culture around us. And so what God does for us, what God does for us does not take away our risk of foolishness. I need us to understand that too. What God does for us does not take away our risk of foolishness. Because listen, I do foolish things sometimes. You do foolish things sometimes. We still fall into foolishness. What God does for us does not take away our risk of foolishness, but it removes our excuses for being foolish. Because now we know. 
Now we know. Now we know what God has done for us. Now we know who God is for us. Now we know the glory of His grace and His mercy laid before His broken humanity. Listen, and so the reality for us is that if we are still dabbling in former ignorance, then it is us actively choosing that. Because we know of something better, we're just choosing to reference back. We're choosing to reach back into those old places, into those old times for lesser things. And so for us, what God is drawing us into is to take active steps away from those things. Away from those things that we used to rely on to make us feel good. Letting go of those things that used to give us value and purpose. Letting go of those things that used to maybe even draw us away from God or distract us or even contribute against, like Peter talks about earlier, a sober mind that is clear and focused on God. If we honestly evaluate our lives, are there things that we're allowing, allowing in that are clouding, cl- making our minds cluttered and cloudy as far as taking our focus off of God, seeing something different than God? That is us. If you're a Christian here this morning, that is us reaching back into our former ignorance. And he's telling us, man, let that go. Let that go. Don't be conformed to that. Don't be conformed or driven by those passions. Be driven by new things. And then in verse four to 15... He says this, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Listen, we've talked about holiness before, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But like I said, another thing that we really only talk about in the context of church, to be holy is to be separate, to be different, being unique, being other. And a apartness, apartness that we, I don't even know if that's a real word. It just makes sense in my mind. Apartness, kind of being separated. And so when we talk about, we said this week after week after week in our study, that when God calls us to be holy, He's calling us to be apart because He wants us to be different in the world that we live in. Because what people, what non-believers, and what even believers are looking for right now is they're looking for something different. They're not needing a church to look like culture. They're needing a church to be holy. They're needing a church to be separated. They're needing a church to be different than what the world offers because the world is not satisfying them. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says the belly of the the wicked is never full because they're constantly seeking the next thing. And what God has given us is not only the next thing, but the final thing. The only thing, like we've sung about this morning, He is worthy of it all. And from Him are all things, and to Him are all things. He has called us to be different. The call to be holy is a command and an invitation to live differently and to lead others to that point of obedience. Not being like what the world knows, but living like something they want to know more about. And we can and should be, as Christians, participating in that holy pursuit. Listen, we always think of holiness as perfection. But listen, our pursuit of holiness isn't perfection. Christ is perfect. God is perfect. But God is holy. And He has invited us to be holy, like this verse says. Because, as we talked about in the beginning, as obedient children, we are in the family of God. And that for us to be holy, and he is, as He is holy, is logical and simple. Because the thing is, 
we should have a family resemblance present within us. You know, when my kids are seen by others, people are going to think about them certain things that resemble me, that resemble my wife, that they have a family resemblance to Jake Rainwater. And so for us, as being in the family of God, there should be within us a family resemblance. Something about the way we live, the way we talk, the way we treat others, that is a resemblance of who our Heavenly Father is. And that's what God is says. That's what Peter is saying here. Is that there is something about us that should be different as God is different. And listen, like we've said, that is, and that's not easy. Because our cultural comforts brings us to act, say, and do the things that the culture does around us. You know, to talk a certain way. To joke a certain way. To live a certain way. To act a certain way. You know, and a lot of times we justify it because there's little things in our lives that we do, like we serve this or we do this. But the question we have to ask ourselves, just in truly evaluating, that is, if, if, if I asked someone, is there anything about me that's different than this or that? Could, would they say it? Like, is there anything about the way I live or act that differentiates me as a Christian? Because listen, there are really great and good atheists that do some really great and good things. So doing great and good things, that, that, that's, that's not it. There's something else. There's a lifestyle of worship. There's a pursuit of holiness. There's a way we talk and act and treat people that is different. Because God has invited us to be partakers. And He says, not only in some of our conduct, but what does He say? In all of our conduct. In all of our conduct. And and that's intimidating to us. Because what we tend to do, especially in the Bible Belt of the South, is that we compartmentalize. Right? We compartmentalize. That's a word I learned this week. We compartmentalize. That's a big word. We compartmentalize. We take things and we separate them. Right? We separate them. My family, my work, my friends, my church, and my spiritual life. Like we, we separate things into these nice little boxes because it makes sense to us. And it's, it's a lot more comfortable that way. I mean, we, you, know, you, you do your pantry the same way. You get all this stuff, you write labels on it, you put it in, in the pantry, and now you know where everything's at. Now you know how everything functions. Now you know that this isn't mixing with that and it's not contaminating that, but it's all right here. And so a lot of us, especially in the South, because kind of church is just that natural thing, that a lot of times we compartmentalize. And so we have our spiritual life or our church here. And I say church, I'm not talking necessarily about just the building. I'm talking about the, the people. We have our church life here. But it's, it's sealed off from my family. It's sealed off from my job. It's sealed off from my friend circle. It's sealed off from my spouse, maybe. We've compartmentalized. And so what Peter says here, he says, let all your conduct. He says, stop compartmentalizing your life. Stop making certain things sacred and certain things secular. I think that's the worst thing we do, especially as church people sometimes. We divide things up into sacred and secular. You know, this is a sacred time. This is a secular time. God has invited us into a lifestyle that all is sacred. 
that the way we live is, 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 is infused with this pursuit of God as I'm parenting, as I'm working, as I'm living. You know, that's, you know for me, just personally in my life and in, in, in moving forward as a minister, how I, why I struggle with maybe ever even having a desire to work in full-time ministry. Because what I did for several years working in an office is I felt like I compartmentalized. When I was, and, and I contributed to this idea that the people here are the people that do these things. And for me, it's like when I'm here, I do this, and this is compartmentalized. And then when I'm here, I don't do this, and then I don't do this. When for us as people, regardless of any title or regardless of any position we hold, God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. He's called us to be ministers of the gospel in our families and in our churches, in our businesses, and in our friend groups. Because those people in those spaces desperately need holiness. They need something different. They don't need us to look like them. And the church and us, we have got to stop trying to look like everybody else. We've got to stop doing it. We've got to stop trying to sing the things that are cool and say the things that are cool and acceptable to this and that. It doesn't mean that we're hurtful because God has not given us the right to do that. He has not given us the right to oppress. He has not given us the right to be belligerent. But what He has given us the right to do and given us the command to do is to pursue holiness and to lead others to that. Because it's in that. It's in Pursuing holiness. And this is very cheesy. But it's in pursuing holiness that we find wholeness. Right? Because that's the only place where we'll find wholeness. Or when the Bible talks about wholeness, it calls it perfection. It's only in God that we find that wholeness. That completion. That a part of me, that a part of us has been replaced. Redeemed reconciled, put back together. And that is where for us, our personal responsibility and our pursuit of holiness comes in. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, he says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Church, and the only thing keeping us out of His calling for us is our own desires to pursue lesser things. And a lot of this, the reinforcement we get for this comes from, our word, from, from God's Word. I mean, that's why even Peter references Leviticus when he, when he writes this. He's kind of connecting. Remember, I love how the Old, New Testament goes to the Old Testament to show the cohesive and the continuity of the Bible. Uh, from beginning to end, Leviticus 11.44, he says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate or separate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming things that crawls on the ground. He says, Stop. Stop grabbing a hold of and depending on lesser things. And so, for us to finish this morning, what is the value of a life moving away from what's behind us towards holiness or set-apartness? And I think there's two things that I'll finish with. The first thing is that it reveals something about what God does in our calling. In this calling to leave our former ignorance, the life that we have that maybe is even yesterday. This life where we dabble 
in the old things that used to satisfy us. Or, you know, and maybe it's something we never truly let go of as we've navigated our Christian life. What God calls us to do is evaluate what He does in our calling. What He does is that those around us and ourselves are able to see the reality of God's grace and provision in the life of a believer. That as we pursue holiness, and you know what, even sometimes stumble forward, that it reveals something about God's grace. That, you know, as God looks at us and does these things with us, the prayer and the hope is that people would look at us and say, man, God's, you know, and that's not from us acting like we've got it, it all together, but it's us constantly deflecting and just being thankful to God. Because listen, most of us here are from this community, and so there's no bit of our past that some people, most people probably don't know. And you know what? God would say that's okay. Because that's your former ignorance. And you know what? Even if that former ignorance is yesterday, God says we continue to pursue holiness. We continue pushing forward because God is doing something in the midst of that to bring us to wholeness. The idea is that God is separate, that He's different from His creation, both in His essential nature and the perfection of, uh, of, of His attributes. But instead of building a wall, keeping us out, the unholy out, He invites us to participate and be a part of His set-apartness. He invites us to be a part of Him and be separated with Him. Not to be uninfluential, not to have, not have a part in what the world does, but to be different in the midst of the world. God calls us to come to Him and to share in what He is doing in that uniqueness that He is. God is unique. God is different. God is set apart. He is holy. And then the second thing is this, that it reveals something about what God can do with us in our calling. Taking us, like I said, from our past ignorance to a future inheritance. That there is something better in front of us than there is behind us. You know, even though we can learn from our past and that I believe with all my heart that there is nothing we've experienced or gone through that is wasted, and it's only by the grace of God that He can take our mistakes, He can take our hurts, and He can mold them into things that motivate us and that we can use to minister to other people around us. That what He has called us to step into day after day after day is an inheritance, a future inheritance, leading us into the lives of others who are ignorant, that are lost individuals and who need to know that there is more to be seen and more to be experienced. You know, most of us and most people by nature, they're in pursuit of an individuality and a self-realization that will never truly be found. It's like an endless track that goes round and round and round. You never truly get to the destination you seek in this pursuit of individuality and self-realization. But what God offers is true life in Christ, in the gospel, the completion, the wholeness that we desperately need. And what He has called us to do is to take active steps forward, even if those steps are stumbling to take active steps forward, leaving behind our past ignorance, leaving behind the things that we depended on before. And listen, this does not happen naturally. This is something that we as the church, as people, as individuals have to do and have to lead our families towards. Men, leading your families spiritually in these directions. 
You know, the, the church needs men to rise up, not because women are inadequate, but because for a lot of, a lot of us and a lot of people, that's really your wives and the people around you are desperately asking for you to take steps of obedience, of leadership. Because in, in a lot of ways, in most ways, our wives have already been taking those steps. And so for us, we're catching up. And so it's within that complementary relationship that we see the fullness of God happen. And that's all of us, men and women, stepping into those roles of leadership and equipment that God has for us. But it only comes when we will let go of our former ignorance and take active steps towards our future inheritance. The bigger and better things that God has for us in the day-to-day and what motivate us, what drive us, and what we're passionate about. Listen, even as broken, faulty people, God invites us into holiness, which should blow our minds. That God invites us into holiness, even when we feel like we're full of holes, right? We feel like we're, we're broken vessels. But I love the fact that God uses broken vessels and fills them up, patches the holes. And even when those, those cracks resurface, fixes again and fixes again and fixes again. And Peter is a perfect example of that. Broken as broken can be. And what did God do? He pursued him. And he empowered him. And he equipped him. And that's what God has called us to. That our challenge this morning would be to take active steps and to conform our minds to the grace and the goodness of God and not to conform our minds to the cultural mandate of what we should do for comfort or for stability and lead others in holiness and wholeness in Jesus Christ. Church, can we pray this morning? Father God, I thank you for today. Father, I thank you that you have invited us into a work. God, not a work of conformity to culture, but a work of conformity to Christ and your goodness and your grace. And God, the empowerment that you give us is not an excuse to be belligerent, not an excuse to be hurtful, but, a, but an excuse to take confident steps towards you in pursuit of holiness. God, and to confidently enter into spaces where we're not wanted or accepted and still invite others into that space. Invite others into that space of your grace. Invite others into a knowledge and an understanding of who you are, the holiness, the difference that is in you and not in any other thing on this earth. But God, you have invited us to be a part of your kingdom purposes. And in that understanding that it's going to come with trials, tribulations, difficulties, hurts, emotional experiences. But Father God, you've invited us to continue to pursue you and to lead others toward you. God, we know and we're thankful that you go to the lowly fisherman the same way you go to the educated professional. God, so let us not live with excuses this morning. God, let us not cling to former ignorance. But God, let us grab a hold of confident promises and who you are and what you do